Good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Allen. We're glad that you're joining us. Um, we're in a series called Tough as Nails. Today's topic is in the beginning. By what I mean about that is the beginning of Christianity, not the beginning of time. Uh, we will be observing the Lord's Supper or communion at the uh, end of the service today. So people that are here, you can get your elements whenever you feel comfortable. They're in the back. And if you're at home, you may want to prepare that sometime during this message and if you've got children, it's a good time to explain to them what all that means. So, I want to start with a story about my wife. Um, she gave me permission. <laughs> uh, this goes back to her high school days. She was in driver's ed class. They had driver's ed class in school. You got school time to take classes when she went. I don't think it's that way now. But anyway, um, one day the teacher took them all outside by the driver's ed car uh, the whole class, and they said, I want to teach you how to change a tire. So his, his technique was to pick the smallest girl in the class to, to demonstrate. Guess who got picked? Uh, my wife did. All right, of course, she didn't know how to do it or couldn't do it, and so she told me that he let some of the guys in the class help. So she was taught how to change a tire. I don't believe, I didn't ask her this, I don't believe she's ever changed a tire her entire life. She hasn't, okay. Um, last time she had a flat tire, she called me, and I went and, and did it for her. The point being, though, we need to learn things just in case sometime in the future we're going to need to have that ability or that skill. Even though at the present time we have no felt need, uh, she had no felt need to learn how to change a tire. So that's kind of what this series is about tough as nails. We're talking about how uh, Jesus... Our example uh, was tough, I mean really tough. And as Jesus followers, we too need to be as tough as he. But in our country, in our society, and in, in, in the world today, it's not that tough to c call yourself a Christian. But I believe it's going to be more of a felt need in the future. Now, information creates emotion. Information creates emotion. I don't know how much news you watch or read. I, I read mine. I read a short summary of news each day. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because it's so emotional, isn't it? Uh, it can get you depressed, upset. You're on a roller coaster of emotions. Most news is bad news, etc. cetera. Um, 2000, things seemed pretty comfortable in this country, things were going pretty well, but then 9-11, 2001, everything changed, didn't it? We felt pretty secure in this country, then we didn't feel secure anymore. We uh, developed or established a whole branch of government <laughs> called Homeland what? Security. All right, this branch of government is to try and help us feel secure again. Um, because we want, we don't, none of us likes insecurity. So let's talk about, that's political, not really religious, maybe a religious overtone. But let's talk about uh, Christianity. Christianity, even in this country, I believe is under assault. Now, I don't want to give you too much details, but I was reading about Nigeria this week. And in Nigeria, if, you, if you're a Christian, you're in danger of somebody coming with a machete and cutting, your, cutting you up into pieces. Not just men, women, children, and even babies. Churches being burnt down. Didn't say anything wrong. All, only thing 
wrong, quote-unquote, was that you claimed the name of Jesus. That's happening right now in the country of Nigeria. Terrible things are happening in other countries, China, North Korea, other places. You can read about this stuff. We don't like to read about it because it makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? We don't like to think about that. I've got some statistics real quick. Uh, about 12% of Christians in the world are suffering uh, extreme or severe persecution. That equals about 260 million people. Now, those of us in the United States aren't included in that, correct? We're in the other, what's that, 88%. Uh, but that's a lot of people that just because they're Christians and they claim the name of Jesus, they, their lives are threatened. That's amazing. But we don't really feel it, do we? Because it's not uh, an issue to us here. But we're all in the same family, family of Christ. And we need to feel it. We need to be aware of it. But as I, as I wrote here, uh, uh, Christianity is under attack. Even in the United States, and maybe it won't be life-threatening in my lifetime, but I have kids and grandkids, and I'm not a prophet, so I don't know what's going to happen in the future. So, it brings about insecurity. So, how should a Christian, Jesus follower, respond to insecurity, anxiety, worry, etc.? Now, Jesus addressed this topic a lot, because he understands that that's an issue to us, right? So, back in the beginning... Not of time again, but back in the beginning of Christianity, I want to make this statement. The event that kicked off Christianity was both glorious and horrible. It was horrible, and we're going to talk about it as we read this text, uh, the way Jesus was treated. Uh, glorious in that he conquered death and rose from the dead, and the tomb is empty, and we can have a relationship with God through the risen Lord. But here's the part you and I don't think about. That glorious and horrible event or events has set the standard and tone for Christianity. Christianity in the United States doesn't have that tone, does it? Or hasn't had. But that was the tone and that's the first century and that's the way Christianity began. But we forget that, don't we? So how was Jesus treated? Well, <laughs> Uh, one of his 12 followers betrayed him, turned him in to the authorities. He was arrested un unjustly, tried and, uh, unjustly and lied about. Um, he was, if we're going to read the text, he was uh, flogged and then crucified. That set the standard and the tone for Christianity. Um, why? Why did it happen to him? Did he do something horrible? Of course not. In Mark, he records the basic reason why that, that happened to Jesus. And it's a little uh, disturbing, if not sickening, when we read it. In Mark chapter 15, it says this, So to pacify the crowd, this is the reason. Pilate, who was the Roman ruler in that part of the country at that time, he released Barabbas to them, to the crowd, to pacify them, to please them, to keep them calm. Consequently, he also ordered Jesus to be flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Why? What was the reason? To pacify the crowd, to please the people, to keep them calm 
That's the reason Jesus, the political reason, not the theological reason, that he was treated this way. Now, when we torture people today, or when people get tortured today, it's to try and get information out of them. But Jesus wasn't tortured to get information out of them. They didn't want anything. It was just an act of cruelty, if you will. <clears throat> and so he is flogged, lead tip whip. The whip had lead to bruise your body, and it had sharp things, glass or metal, to rip the skin off your body. And if you've ever watched The Passion of the Christ, the most difficult part of that movie for me to watch, because that was, he was hit 39 times, and each time he was hit, the whip would wrap around his body and tear the flesh off the front and back of his torso, as well as bruising it. Horrible, horrible form of torture. And then he was carried off to be crucified. So the goal was what? It was agony. It was prolonged agony. It was to teach people a lesson that, hey, if you mess with Rome, this is what could happen to you. Continuing with the text in Matthew's account. They stripped him and put scarlet robe on him. They wove thorns, branches into a crown and put it on his head. All right, I don't know about you, but if you got pricked by a thorn, this is a crown of thorns, multiple thorns placed upon your skull. They placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter, mocking him. They knelt before him mocking, mock, in mockery, excuse me, and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him. Even today, especially now with COVID, right? It's, it's horrible for somebody to be uh, spit on or spit on you. They grabbed the stick and struck him on the head with it. Now, if you strike him on the head, what's on his head? Crown of thorns. So what are they doing with the thorns? They're driving him into his skull. Uh, it was an act of shame. He was stripped, probably naked. And he wasn't placed up high so people could walk by and not see him. He was probably eye level, maybe a foot off the ground. So people would have to see uh, what was happening. So again, they would be warned by Rome, you need to behave. People passed by, shouted abuse, abuse shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now. They yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, if you're the son of God, save yourself. Come down from that cross. Now it's interesting, when most people are threatened, what do they do? When uh, Moses was found out that he had killed an uh, Egyptian taskmaster, what did he do? Ran off into the desert. Uh, when uh, King David, his son, uh, took over his throne, what did David do? He ran off into the desert. So when most people are threatened, they run the other way, not Jesus Christ. Knowing what was faced, he was going to face, he rode into Jerusalem. He rode into the jaws of death, if you will. The leading priests, the teachers of the religious law, and the elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others. He can't save himself. So he's the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now, and then we'll believe in him. Of course they wouldn't. Now part of the problem is the vision between, of, of art and movie of Jesus that we have. 
He's usually portrayed as a meek and mild person, even as he's crucified. But that's not how Jesus must have been. Um, if we were casting the role of Jesus in a movie, I don't know who we'd pick. We don't have a description of him, so we pretty average looking. He wasn't a movie star looking person. Um, he probably didn't have an extreme um, muscular body. Probably was okay. Um, but despite that, there was something extraordinary about him. I put on the, your outline, our Savior was extraordinarily bold despite his appearance. Uh, one, one time in Scripture, it tells us he went into the temple, uh, the court of the Gentiles, where they sold uh, offerings to people and exchanged money, and they were cheating the people, and so Jesus went in and turned the tables upside down. Now, that takes extreme boldness. And they didn't say, uh, what are you doing? What did they say to him? Who do you think you are? Where do you get the authority to do this? So Jesus was fearless. He wasn't afraid of the money changers. He wasn't afraid of the temple. He wasn't afraid of the Romans. And this is the one that we serve. This is the one that we follow. This is our example. So our theme verse in this series is this. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And he was saying to them all, this is Jesus, if anyone, now any, everybody's invited, but if anybody wishes to follow me as my disciple, my, Jesus, uh, as a follower, he must. Okay, this is a requirement if you want to do that. You must deny yourself. That means set aside your selfish interest. Now, most of us are selfish people, right? Most of the time. Jesus said, no, 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 as my followers, you've got to be different. <laughs> you've got to deny yourself. I'll explain that a little bit more in a minute. And take up your cross daily. So this is a daily activity, a routine, or a habit. I brush my teeth every day. You know, I do other things every day. Uh, this is part of that. If it's a Jesus follower, daily activity is taking up my cross. That means expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come. Okay, I don't know what's going to happen today, Jesus, but I'm going to follow you, hell or high water. Whatever's going to happen, I'm going to follow you. And, okay, so I've got to deny myself, I have to take up my cross, and then I follow. That means believing in me, conforming to my example in living. What's his example? Boldness to turn over the tables, walk into the uh, jaws of death into Jerusalem, and then suffer a cruel death unjust and so he says that here if need be suffering or perhaps dying because of faith in me so let me reword it for you a couple different ways from time to time you say no to you in order to say yes to Jesus so there's going to be this conflict. I want to do this. As a Jesus follower, I need to do this, or Jesus wants me to do this. Or I don't want to do this, but Jesus 
as a Jesus follower, Jesus wants me to do this. Or I want to do this as a Jesus follower, Jesus says no. So I need to say no. There's, in this conflict, in this struggle, I need to say no to me to say yes to Jesus. In fact, I would say it this way. This needs to become a habit. This is my normal way of operating. So the conflict comes and I say, okay, I'm going to deny myself and take up my cross, so I'm going to do what Jesus wants instead of what I want. That need becomes, ah, needs to become a habit. See, we look at a cross today and we put them on top of church buildings or we wear it as jewelry. But the cross in Jesus' day was what? The form of the most extreme punishment, torture, and execution. I couldn't think of a good example today. Firing squad, um, gas chamber, electric chair, they're all really fast, right? And kind of painless, <laughs> as little pain as possible. That's not the cross. The cross was agonizing, prolonged. Some people hung on crosses for days. And you didn't die from blood loss, you died from suffocation. You couldn't hold yourself up and you couldn't breathe. So that's the Jesus that we are called to follow. So the other statement I wanted to share with you is this. To follow Jesus, sometimes it won't feel safe. It won't feel safe. We say, you know, as a Jesus follower, your life is better and you're better at life. That's true. And we like these sermons when I get up here and talk to you about how to make your marriages better and, and your relationships better and all that stuff. But this is reality or part of the reality of being a Jesus follower also. Sometimes it's going to hurt. Sometimes it's going to cost. Sometimes it's not going to feel good. Sometimes it's not going to obviously feel secure or feel safe. So I really want to zero in a verse that uh, Jesus shared in Matthew chapter 10. Because uh, this is really critical for us being that kind of Jesus follower. So this is in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, I believe. Don't be afraid. Now Jesus said this a lot because he knows we are fearful people. We are fret a lot and we feel insecure and we worry, etc., etc. So Jesus said this a lot. Don't be afraid. But he gave us the rationale for it, which I love. He said, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. Well, we, yeah, I'm going to be afraid if somebody comes at me with a gun. He said, no, 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 you don't need to be afraid of that. They can't touch your soul, the, the essence of who you are, the eternal part of who you are. So you don't need to be afraid of that. As in front of the body, present with the Lord, you don't need to be afraid of that. But you can be afraid of something. In fact, you and I need to be afraid of something. Fear only God. Can we all say that's the only fear we have? Why? Because he can destroy both soul and body in hell. You want to fear something? Go ahead and fear something. Fear God. And then he gives an illustration to support that statement. Don't need to fear people, you know, it hurts your body. The price of two sparrows. What's the price? One copper coin. But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. Then he uses this amazing illustration. And the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't even know if sometimes that God knows what's going on in my life at all. He said, no, no, no. You don't have to worry about that. He, he knows every detail of your life. He knows how many hairs are on your head. So consequently, he, he understands. He knows exactly what's going on. Completely. 
in my life. So, consequently, what? You don't need to be afraid. Because you're certainly more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Jesus didn't die for them. He did die for you and I. So there is a time or a place to fear, and it's the one that can only harm our soul. Not anybody can harm our body. A uh, story from uh, ministry of Jesus. He's, at, he's with his disciples. They get in this boat on the Sea of Galilee, and the storm comes up. Evidently, it was a really terrible storm because the disciples, some of which were fishermen, feared for their lives. And it, the Scripture says that Jesus was asleep. And I, one commentator suggests that he probably wasn't asleep. I mean, it was a pretty bad storm. He probably couldn't sleep. But he, maybe he was, quote, quote, I'm fake, faking it. <laughs> and he was just saying, okay, I'm just waiting for these guys to finally realize that they need my help and um, maybe even had a little smile on his face realizing what was going to happen. That being the case, they wake Jesus up, get his attention, whatever, and what's Jesus' response? Oh, yeah, you guys should be afraid because we could drown and and all die. That's what his response, right? (laughs) No. Just like before, he's going to say what? Don't be afraid. Or in this case, why are you afraid? And then he says, you have so little faith. Lack of faith. Fear is a lack of faith, right? So you have so little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. The disciples were amazed. Wow. (laughs) Who is this guy? Who is this man? Even the winds and waves obey him. Mark's account, he uses the, uh, this word, word fear in, in a double manner. Translated this way. They feared a great fear. They feared a great fear. Let me kind of try and translate that for you. Their latter fear was greater than their former fear. Their fear of Jesus overcame their fear of the storm. Another way of saying that, he said little faith. Their latter faith, their faith in Jesus, was greater than their former faith (laughs) that they had before they knew Jesus could calm the storm. So, is our faith greater than our, uh, our fear of God greater than other other fears? Is our faith greater now than it it was in the past? So here's kind of the Nut, the nutshell version of this, of this message. Uncertainty is unavoidable. I'm going to say it this way. Uncertainty is certain. <laughs> but fear is optional. Fear crops up. Something can, something can happen. We can hear something. You know, we get an ache or pain in our body. All of a sudden, I'm afraid. What, what's, what's wrong with me? Fear can crop up. Pop up. But, f- I mean, Uncertainty. But fear is optional. Okay, God's got this. I don't need, need to be afraid. Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament. Um, he did this missionary work. He was starting these churches different places and kind of getting near the end of his ministry. He's in Ephesus, a place he started a church. And he says to them, and I want you to notice this, uh, how fearless this guy was. He, uh, he was at one point stoned. That means he, they stoned him enough that he, they thought he was dead and that people left and then he eventually came to and got back up. And of course, at that point, he stopped, stopped being a missionary, right? 
No, he just got up and went back to being a missionary, even though it got, got, it, it got him stoned and other things he'd suffered. So he's in Ephesus, and he says to the people, this is in chapter 20 of Acts, they were sad, most of all, because, why were they sad? Because he said they would never see him again. You ever had that situation where you knew something, you're not going to see a person again? I had, a, had an uncle years ago who was dying. He's upstate New York, Uncle Charlie. And uh, my mom and, and Mel and I went to, to see him, mostly to share Jesus with him. Um, he attended some church sometime, some in his life, but we didn't believe he was a Jesus follower. So we went and shared with him. He accepted Christ. We came back to Maryland. Within a week, we went back up, and I, I performed his funeral. Uh, it was sad that we knew that was the last time we were going to see him. But it was also a happy time because we knew that we would see him again one day, right? <clears throat> so then he travels back to Caesarea where they, the church has sent him out as a missionary. So he gets back to Caesarea and there's this prophecy. If you go, to, if you go back to Jerusalem, you're going to wind up in Rome. And you didn't want to go to Rome. <laughs> Rome was the center of the Roman Empire. Bad things happen to you if you go to Rome. So here was Paul's response to that. Okay, this is a prophecy. When he heard this, <laughs> we and the local believers all begged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Okay, Paul, here's the prophecy. We believe the prophecy is true. If you go to Jerusalem, you're going to wind up in a bad place in, in Rome. And so Paul is going to do what? Oh, I'm not going to go to Jerusalem. That's going to be uh, bad for me, right? No, no, no. That's what he said. What's he say? Why are you all upset? Why all this weeping? You're breaking my heart. It's not breaking my heart that this may happen to me. What's breaking my heart is your response. I'm ready not only to be jailed in Jerusalem. I'm ready not only to be jailed, but to even die for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. To live as Christ, to die as gain. Paul writes, when it was clear they couldn't persuade him, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. How courageous is that? Can you and I say that? The, uh, you all know the stories of the uh, Christians being put in arenas and the lions coming in and tearing the bodies apart. Most of you know those stories. Um, Roman doctors could not touch dead bodies. So what they would do when these bodies would be... be, be uh, mauled by the animals, they would rush into the arenas to try and learn what they could about the human body before the bodies died. And it's amazing, we have this, this uh, response of one of the Roman doctors now, 2,000 years later. It's been preserved for us. And here's what he said. For fearlessness of death and the hereafter is something we witness in them every day. Not just a Paul, not just a Stephen. This was common behavior for Christians in the first century. Fearless of death and the hereafter. I shared this uh, little video this week on uh, William Tyndale. I don't know how many of you know who William Tyndale is, but as an English speaker or reader, you and, all, you and I need to be especially thankful to this man who lived in England in the early 1500s. <clears throat> he was a scholar. He knew lots of languages. And he believed that 
the English people ought to have a Bible in the English language, which they didn't have at this point. And so he translated it. He translated the whole Bible into English. So the people in the printing press had just been invented so people could afford Bibles. Before that, they were too expensive. Anyway, so you know what he got for his trouble? He, this was against the law. <laughs> and the church and the, and the government were combined back then. This was against the law. He went over to Brussels. He got arrested. He got tried for heresy. He got convicted. He was strangled to death and his body burned. Why? <laughs> because he translated the Bible from Greek and Hebrew into English. That was it. He was executed at age 42. Within two years after that, the King of England, King Henry VIII, declared this Bible the official Bible of the Church of England. Some of you know about the King James Version of the Bible. It comes 70 years later or so. 75% of the King James Bible is William Tyndale's translation. Is he afraid to die? No. So uncertainty, it's unavoidable. It's certain, but fear is optional. So I'm going to leave you with some questions that are kind of convicting, or convicting to me anyway. Uh, We don't usually end this way, but I think it's important that we do this sometimes. So here they are. Is our version of Christianity worth all that? Is it worth Paul being stoned and eventually executed? Is it worth Tyndale given his life to translate the Bible in English. Is it worth those, those people we don't even know that uh, died in the arenas? What about these people that are dying now in, in Nigeria? Is our version, our United States version of Christianity worth all that? Where we pray, God, help me find my keys or help me find a parking space. Whole different level. Follow-up question, is our version of Christianity worth dying for? If it becomes illegal in this country to become a Christian, you, you and I say, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm one of those. Not likely to happen in my lifetime. But when we, that verse we talked about, denying self, dying, denying yourself is a death. It's death to my will for God's will. And so I'm supposed to die daily. And last question. Is the way, is the, is the way that we live worth the price that they paid? Can you imagine that first century? Or somebody from Nigeria coming to us and saying, um, what are you afraid of? You're afraid the stock market is going to go down? You're afraid uh, they've got a democratic regime in the, in, in the government? They couldn't imagine the things that we're afraid of when they're living their faith with fear of death. So when, when fear starts to whisper in your ears, cover And la, 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 la. Say, I'm not listening. I'm not hearing. I'm going to have the courage of my Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to live my life with boldness. Let me pray with you. Father God, thank you. We thank you for the examples, so many people through history. We could talk forever about the people that have sacrificed their life, literally, for the gospel for the truth of the gospel. God, I have to admit, United States Christianity, I don't think is there. I don't think we're there. 
If we were threatened with death, most of us would, would cave. That's horrible to say, I know. I, I, hopefully it wouldn't be true. But we thank you, God, that, that the, for the boldness of you, Jesus, first and foremost, that you went into the jaws of death. Uh, you were tougher than nails. You carried the sin burden of all mankind on that cross and conquered death so we might have life, relationship with you, God, and eternity with you. And we pray that prayer for any of you that might be watching or here that uh, never stepped across that line, accepted that. Uh, we don't talk sometimes about this difficult side of Christianity where there is a cost. It's more than worth the cost, but there is a cost. And we pray that you would come to the place where you, you, you acknowledge that and, you, and realize that you, it's worth the cost to have a relationship with God and your sins forgiven. Um, most of us are Jesus followers, God. And we, we, I would pray that our, our, our faith would be bold, that faith would, we would be courageous people with our faith, that we would honor you with our lives, that we would deny ourselves daily. This would be our habit to do this, that you might be glorified. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.